Hi, this is Dan Corver, uh, pastor here at Dalton Hill Baptist Church. <clears throat> we're a small Baptist church located in Owasso, Oklahoma. We're small enough to know you, but we're big enough to serve you and for you to serve as well. Our vision is to rescue, restore, and return to service. Rescue a non-believer or a believer who has been hurt or is lost. Restoring them to Christ in fellowship with other believers with the desire that they in turn will help others along their way. Memorial Day, obviously, it started the, what was it originally called? Decorations Day. And it obviously started, to, and there's been a lot of discussion. Uh, it started, obviously, the Civil War, and it started uh, both the North and South had it on different days. In fact, states had it on different days. And then it was then uh, decided to uh, celebrate the last Monday of May, and then it was expanded in 68 and also in 71 to include soldiers of all uh, wars, not just simply the Civil War, and uh, so we can be thankful too for Andrew and his service. He's definitely one that we can remember today. So when you think about it, I want you to think about not just uh, things of the past, but I want you to think about what about the future. We have a lot of funerals we go to, and they call it memorial service, right? How many of you have ever thought that you realize you can help write your own? You ever think about that? Let's remember, though, some different things, and since a lot of it would be reviewed, for a lot of you, some of you obviously haven't been here, so it might not be, but look over in, uh, if you would, to 2 Samuel chapter 23, 2 Samuel 23, and uh, before you even turn there, one of the things, remembering those who helped us get here the first point, and that uh, remember those who helped get us here. You stop and you think about it. Uh, Romans 5 8, God demonstrated his love toward us, and while we we're yet sinners, what? Christ died, for us. Christ died for us. How many of us are thanking the Lord? Every time you take the Lord's Supper, it's a memorial, is it not? Amen. A proclamation. You also have with Psalms 23, the Lord is my shepherd. How many of you ever stopping and thanking him? remembering all the time what he's doing for us. But it's interesting in uh, 2 Samuel 23, uh, it's also in 1 Chronicles chapter 11, Daniel, excuse me, David wanted to make sure under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that people remembered the men who helped bring the kingdom to pass. Obviously the Holy Spirit had anointed David, the Holy Spirit had done to so many things and God during the battles but there was men that helped get him there and you stop and think of those men remember he started off with 800 men if you think about it if you look earlier in the passage uh, you'll find they were some pretty uh, cantankerous individuals to say the best you know they, they weren't you know, in trouble with the law they were in trouble with debt and the Lord really and David solidified it but notice what it has to say, and I think it's important for us to remember those who helped get us where we are. How many times do we ever stop and thank people for getting us where they're at? But you notice he starts writing them, and if it wasn't for these two passages, how many of us would have even know of these men? It's amazing. You wouldn't even know. And it's amazing when you look at them. Uh, I want you to think about trying to name them. You notice the first guy, in chapter 23 and verse, and verse 8. It's interesting. It says in one battle, he killed 800 people by himself. 
I want you to think about that. One battle by yourself. You notice they didn't have machine guns. They didn't have guns. You think of the weaponry that they had. You think about it. So if you had a, a 10 hour battle, which hand to hand combat for 10 hours would be amazing, you think of how many people you are killing yourself in one battle. Pretty amazing. It's also interesting when you look at the different names, what he's called. He's a uh, reason that Adino means spear, and the other part, Esnai, means strong and sharp. <laughs> How'd you like to have the name of strong and sharp spear? <laughs> Obviously, <coughs> must have been the weapon with which he chose to use. But it's interesting. You notice the next one, you have uh, Eleazar, one of the three mighty men. And if you look at the story, if you remember when uh, he rose and he killed the, the uh, Philistine, and you'll notice when everybody draws away from him, so he's left there by himself and he won't retreat, and he's fighting by himself, and he's one of the mighty men. Uh, you also, when you get down to... Uh, you look at it in verse 11, same thing. It's just the men that you had, one of them, just how many people went sword. Uh, but these men were great. And you'll notice then in one, when David says he wants a drink in verse 13 and down to 17. Now if you look at the story in verse 13, the Philistines were camped around them and where David wants a drink. You ever look at the map to see how far away that was? It's 12 miles. So let's say you're we're part of the Israelite camp. You could go all the way down to the traffic circle. And that's the Philistines down there. And your your captain, your David wants a drink. So three of you are going to fight all the way through the enemy lines, all the way down three of you, get water. Now you think about it, how many are going to lose the water on the way back? You've got to keep that water fighting the enemies all the way back just because of what? Your captain wants a drink. Does our captain want something from us? And how many of us are willing to fight and go all the way down there for that? And he then goes down and he starts talking about some others. You'll notice Joab's brother in verse 18. Uh, he swung a spear and killed 300 men by himself. And he was he was as good as they were, just not quite as renowned. And look at the next one in verse 20. He kills two giants, but notice he also goes down in a, in a pit on snow and kills a lion. Now how many of you, who's going to have better footing in a pit with snow, you or the lion? He also noticed in verse 21, if you look at it, it's 1 Samuel chapter, 1 Corinthians, Chronicles 11, the Egyptian says he's an impressive man, you'll look at it, he was 7 foot 6. Who would have the better reach? You think about hand-to-hand -hand combat, how important is reach? The spearhead itself, and it says that if you look at the corresponding uh, chapters, weighed 17 pounds. How many of us could pick up a spear weighing 17 pounds on the end of it? So you're talking about an incredibly... Again, why... God, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, put this in. wants us to remember we don't get anywhere besides our Savior and other people to help get us here. And how many times do we remember those people? Those people need to be remembered. And so it's interesting to go on down and talk about 
In 24, you have another one at Joab's Brothers. That's the one that was the gazelle. Remember that ran so fast? And the, there's actually 37 listed. There's only 30 at a time, and whenever one would die or whatever, they would then be replaced to be part of the 30 men. But I want us just to stop and remember then, and remember those who have helped get us here. And I want us to uh, just think of that. Uh, one, we need to give the Lord His rightful place in our achievements. Who gave you the ability? Mental ability? The uh, physical ability? God gave those things to us. Who gave you the opening of the job? Why couldn't we have been in a different land? I've been to different places around the number of countries around the world. And I mean, those people are just as smart, work just as hard, but they're limited and can't go anywhere. Why did God allow me to be here? So I think we need to really stop and thank the Lord. And then what about how many of us are given credit? How many of us have ever written? And what happens, David wrote it down because he didn't want people to forget. What about people who helped you get where you are? And if you don't write it down, Who's going to remember those people that got you where you're at because you helped get people as well? So I just challenge you to think, write down, put it somewhere, thank them, but put it down where your aunts, your relatives are going to know who helped get you where you are. And I don't think we do that like we should. Quite often because they're in nursing homes and everywhere else and we basically have forgotten about it. But if it wasn't for those people, where would we be? Second thing I want you to think about, look over in Malachi, we decided to remember those who helped get us here. Look over in Malachi chapter 3. Again, we've uh, seen this before. This is kind of a putting several different uh, messages together that we've done. Malachi chapter 3. In the book of Malachi, there's a lot of questions. God makes an accusation against the people, and then they respond back and basically question God that you know, he doesn't really know what he's talking about. And then God proves that he is correct. And notice there's a question that comes in chapter 3 of Malachi in verse 14, and you will have probably have asked this question as well. You have said it is vain to serve God. What profit is it that we have kept his charge and that we walked in the morning before the Lord of hosts? So now we call the arrogant blessed, not only the doers of wickedness build up, but they also test God and escape. So the question is, hey, we, we serve the Lord and we don't get any benefits. And the ones who are breaking all the laws, you don't punish them and they're doing great. Kind of sound like our country? God answers that. Notice the next verse. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord gave attention, and a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord, who esteem his name. Then he will be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day that I prepare my own possession, I'll spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. A book of remembrance. You and I, when we're doing things for the Lord, which we'll see here in a minute, we're doing it correctly, there's a book of remembrance and He writes it down. And nobody else may remember, and nobody else may know. But He knows, and He will reward you. That's so what I want you to think about. One, the Lord knows, but two, how many of us are living for the line of the dot? The dot is what we are today. Would you agree everyone lives for eternity? Everybody does. Depends on where you're living. 
But how many of us are living for the dot? I care more about what's going on right now than what's going on being in eternity. And I think it's important. He's telling you to look at eternity. You want a memorial. I care more about what he has to say, well done, my good and faithful servant, than what somebody has to say today. But that's a change in our mentality. But think about it. Am I willing to do what's right and allow recognition and rewards to come later? Most of us want it, what? No. We want it now or we want both. We want both. So think about it. First of all, Memorial Day, remember those who helped get us here. Two, remember the Remembrance Book. How many of you are thankful he's writing it down? Yes. Think about it. He's writing it down. And I am sure we're going to come to... You know what? You're also going to have a reward banquet. You realize we're going to attend a reward banquet. Second, uh, Matthew 25 talks about it. Second Corinthians 5 talks about it. Second Corinthians 5, you remember, it makes it before we must all appear before the judgment seat, which is called the Bama seat, to be recompensed what we've done, whether it be good or bad. The Bama seat was, the, was used in the Iconium Games, which was pre-Olympics, in which the judges sat, and when a person would perform legally, they would come before them, the judgment seat, the reward seat, to get their rewards. But they had to do it faithfully and correctly. So how do you do something faithfully and correctly to get rewarded for it? We've seen this before, but it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. How many of you would like to stand before him and it's going to be rewarded for what's correct? 1 Corinthians 3, Paul is talking to the Corinthians, which 2 Corinthians 5, obviously he was as well. But notice what he has to say. I think it's important. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And notice there's a lot of divisions that are going on in the book of Corinth. We'll start in verse 5. <clears throat> what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants of whom you believed. Even the Lord gave opportunity to each. God gives different opportunities. Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. Just on a side note, if you remember back in John chapter 20, Jesus, excuse me, John chapter 4, Jesus makes the same statement. Remember he goes with the Samaritan woman and he tells the disciples, Behold, look unto the harvest. You say it's four months until harvest. I say they're white under harvest. Obviously, he, one was talking about the literal harvest and he's talking about the spiritual harvest. But what does he then tell the disciples? Go reap where you did not sow. So then both the sower and the reaper will both be rewarded. Who did the sowing in the Samaritans' lives? The apostles did, didn't. Who did? How do they know about a Messiah coming? Old Testament prophets. So you have Jesus, but they also they were reaping also all the seeds that were planted. That's why Paul planted but somebody else comes along and harvests. But we only care about, in our country, what? The harvest, the results. Keep reading. What does he tell you in verse 8? If you want to latch on to something, latch on to verse 8. Now he who plants, he who waters are one, but each has received his own reward according to what? Labor. labor. In our country, we're rewarded on our labor or results. We're rewarded on results. You go work in a Muslim country and you may only have a few people come to know Christ. But if you're faithfully serving Him, 
Notice he says you're rewarded according to your labor. I think it's so important for us to recognize that you can be, because usually we're comparing ourselves. Christians are comparing each church. You know, the first question I ever get asked, how many people is in your church? How many people did you baptize this? What size offering do you have? Is that really the right questions? Notice then, we're going to all stand before Him. It says, and we're going to, it's going to be tested. So the one is, I think we need to realize that we're rewarded according to our labor. But notice then, what we choose to build on, is it on Christ or on ourselves? But notice what material we choose to use. Notice it says in verse 11 then, <clears throat> we're building on Christ in 10. 11, let no man lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds upon the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each man will come evident, for the day will come to show it when it will be tested with fire. So I am going to build on Christ's foundation, but if I do it for God's glory, it's going to be what? If I do it for God's glory, it's going to be silver and so on. That purifies, but it's still there. But if I do it for my glory, it's going to be burned up. The same thing happens, which you'll see later. What about Matthew 6? When you pray, you pray in secret. The ones that pray in the public, they get the public recognition, but they don't get anything. When you give, it's the same way. When you fast, it's the same way. Am I doing things for God's glory? That's what always bothers me when you go to graduation. Do you ever hear prayers and stuff at graduation? How many people talk that way? And how many of you is it a bragging on? Now, I'm being serious. I've only been to one graduation in my entire life, which I thought was good. It was my undergraduate. When I first degree I got was the person that spoke. And I was told beforehand, he's one of the most boring speakers. You won't like it at all. Charles Ryrie spoke at my graduation. And that was one of the most phenomenal messages I ever heard. He never said one thing about himself. He spoke strictly to the graduates to help us not grow. And that's exactly what you need to have. But how many graduations have we been at when it's a bragimony from the speaker is telling about all his great achievements and what all he's done in maybe two seconds addressing the graduates? But what about you and I? Are we going to have to stand before him? We're going to have to. According to labor, not results, but am I doing it for his glory or mine? Can you speak? Can you sing for your glory? Yes. Can you give for your glory? Or do you give for God's glory? I think it's important for us. That's a question we have. God knows the heart. That's why when you get into chapter 4, which I didn't have on there, but look in verse 5 of chapter 4. Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in darkness, disclosing the motives of men's heart, that each man's praise will come from Him, from the Lord. Our motive. We don't know. A lot of times people give because they want their name put on some building. If they choose to put your name on the building, great. But how many of us will all, I'll only give that name building is named after me or this was done after me we're doing it for what reason 
And I'm thankful for all the libraries and all the great things we have that people do, but are we doing it for my glory? Or are we doing it for God's glory? You think about the memorial. One of the famous memorials you have, what happened when Mary was at the Simon the leper's house and she pours that perfume on Jesus' feet. And what did he say? This will be remembered as a memorial for her for the rest of eternity. Did she do it for name recognition? She did it for thankfulness for what God's done for her. How many of us are doing things out of thankfulness for what God's done? Okay, so you have the reward bank and we have some rules. What about some rewards? Do you realize there's rewards that are promised? You promised four rewards in Scripture plus a lot of other things, but in given to you since we looked at it before. If you remember when in James chapter 1, remember it says, Consider all joy, my brother, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. When you get all the way down to verse 12, it says, He who perseveres to the end will receive the crown of life. Why would he call it crown of life? Because it may cost you your life. How many of us quit under a trial before we get to what's well, trying to make us more like Christ and persevere? But if you want the crown of life, it's available for how many of us? All of us. How many of us want it? He's telling you how to get it. You also have the uh, crown of joy. You have that in uh, First, uh, First Corinthians, excuse me, First uh, Thessalonians, chapter two, verse uh, eighteen to twenty. And Paul is being looked at by the, the Thessalonians, and he said, when he stands before the Lord, he said, "You are my crown, my exaltation." So in other words, Paul saying, "What do I have to show for my life? What did Paul have to show physically? Did he have a house? Did he have a pension? Did he have retirement?" Anything to give to his you know. When I stand before the Lord and he says, What have you done with your life? And I'm going to be able to come out and say, Look, I had a part in leading these people to you and developing them for you. How do you want the crown of joy? None of these have anything to do with your education. It all has to do with how faithful we want to be with what God's placed us. What about the uh, Paul is about to die in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and he says, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness which is available not only to me but also to all those who longing for his appearing. Why is it called a crown of righteousness? When Christ comes back, could it be today? So if I'm raptured today, where do I go? I go before the judgment seat of Christ. How many of you are ready to stand before him and give an account today? That's why it's called the crown of righteousness. I'm ready, Lord. Take me right now. I'm ready to stand before you. I'm righteous. I'm ready for you to look at and examine my life. Crown of righteousness is promised to everyone who's longing for his appearance. Lord, come. I'm ready. Okay. You also have another one. You have it in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2 to verse 4. It's called the crown of glory. It says all those elders to serve as shepherd don't be served, but to serve. If you are doing a servant role, how much glory is there? There isn't much glory in serving. Moms, how much glory was it getting up at 2 in the morning taking care of those little ones for years? 
kids, grandkids, whatever it might be. But the Lord's taking note and He's promising you serve as you should. And notice who's writing it. It's Peter. Who was part of it 30 years earlier and kept saying, we wanted to be the greatest. And they all got mad when James and John wanted to be the greatest. And who's the one who says, I'm a fellow elder and this is how you're great? How many of us want to have that crown? I think it's interesting. So what rewards are you working for? Rewards of eternity? And the lying or rewards of today? And I mean, I've seen so many people, they want they quit jobs, they get jobs just so they can have a title. Dad and I worked with a, a new young lady and she quit a job and said, I'm leaving. So I've come and said, well, they just hired somebody else. And uh, she worked at a, we, we went in this uh, place to get fuel all the time. I did a lot of yards in the area. And uh, she was real nice. And anyway, I said, well, what, what, you're leaving. I'm like, how come? She's going to go now travel all the way from Tulsa to Broken Arrow. I said, do you get an increase in pay? No. Well, the person who's staying here that you didn't get the job, are they making any more money? No. And why would you drive this far and give all this up? Because they now got a title. And I didn't get the title. And how many of them have titles? And people do anything to get a title. And just outside, everybody's, you know, different. You have a little name tag on you, a little name thing outside your office building or whatever. You have all these titles. And it's amazing how many titles they have to have. How many of us are really working there? If they give a title, that's fine. But how many of us work so hard just to get a title in this day and age rather than eternity? So when you think about that, you have this, uh, these different rewards, but we, you know, we are going to stand before them. I think it's interesting. But what about the, uh, what do you think about, what about some different roads you can take? Look over in Matthew 6 for a moment. We talked about this. The different roads you can take on the, and all these are available. It's not like it's limited to being one of us. It's called the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, Jesus is speaking. And notice when he gets to chapter 6, notice in verse. 3 and 4, he talks about those who are giving to be noticed. And then notice in verse 3 and 4, when you give alms, do not let the left hand know what the right hand is doing, that your alms may be given in secret. Notice the next part. And your Father who sees in secret will repay you. Was that the same word used of the, the Good Samaritan? You remember when he, after he uh, binds him up, uh, he'll, and he, put, he puts the the uh, oil, and he puts the wine to clean the wounds. He then puts him on his donkey, and he then takes him to the inn. He then gives him two denarii to take care of it. And then he says what? Anything else that he needs, you give it to him, and I will repay you. When is the Lord going to repay us? That's in heaven. He could repay you now. That's not when he guarantees it. What does it tell you in Galatians? You think if you were told you were going to get a reward or an investment that would pay you 100% increase in what you gave, how many of you would do it? Well, the Lord's promised you. How many of us are investing in eternity? 
That's a guaranteed promise. That's why in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 4, Paul says, I've entrusted to him what I've done because he is keeping it and he is going to reward me for it. I think it's interesting to look at it. One minute, what about giving? What about when you get to verse 5 and 6? Talking about praying, you need to pray in secret. And then when you go down to verse 17 and 18, you should fast in secret. Notice both times it says the Lord will repay you. What about your quiet time? That's between you and the Lord, isn't it? When people are doing things, nobody knows what's going on. But the Lord does. But how many of us want everybody else to know? Man, I didn't eat all day. You know, you, you get so big about our fasting, and we want everybody else to feel sorry for us and how spiritual we are that we miss the meal. A lot of us can miss a lot more than one meal. You know, but we do that. Or we, I've been to a lot of banquets. I'm sure you have too. Fundraisers. We're just need just need another thousand dollars. Thousand dollars reach your goal. Thousand dollars reach your goal. And finally, somebody comes forward. Oh, Dan! Dan just got us over the top. Well, what does everybody know? Dan just gave a thousand dollars. Now, there's nothing wrong with the going up and giving the money, but why do we have to? Sometimes, are we giving it out of compulsion, which First Corinthians sixteen is going to tell you? You give as God's purposed in your heart before you ever get to it. Already have your mind set up what you're going to do. Don't do it out of obligation or anything. See, you can uh, one way you can be rewarded is through giving; another one's through your quiet time. What about in uh, Matthew 25? You know the story. It's part of the judgment of the Gentiles. And you remember when they come before him, the separation of sheep and goats at the end of the tribulation. And it makes the statement, and Jesus is rewarding them. And they said, for, you know, feeding them, clothing them, helping them. And they said, when do we ever do this for you? And he said, when you did to the least of these, you did it unto me. They don't even remember. When you're helping people, you ever stop and think, you're helping a fellow believer and you're doing it for God's glory. Nobody else is there. Nobody else notices. God sees it and He rewards you. Promises to. So we have a lot of different things. So how do you know when we really get to heaven? I believe that we're going to have so many people that we've never heard of in our entire life getting all kinds of rewards. God recognizes doing tremendous things. And the people that we thought were going to get a lot may not get near the amount. But we're going to have people in heaven throughout eternity that are going to have all kinds of rewards. And in that, that's why I'm glad I have a faithful judge. He sees the motives and sees everything else. What about in uh, Ephesians 6? You have another one. So you could be through giving, you could be through your quiet time, helping those in need. When you help those in need too, when you help those that can pay you back is one thing, but what happens when we help people that can't pay us back? Ephesians chapter 6. You also have the same thing in Colossians chapter 3. Notice in verse 7 and 8. He's speaking to uh, basically at work. When we go to work, we need to work as unto the Lord. Notice in verse 6, not I, pleasers. You ever have those at work that whenever the boss is watching? Boy, they can really do something. They can talk the rest right. They did all the job done. As soon as the boss isn't looking, they do something else. Notice then in verse 8. A 
chapter 6, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he received back from the Lord, whether slave or free. How many of us are working for God's glory? And I'm at work, and I'm at the refinery, and I'm doing the job. People don't know what I do. My boss, none of them have any clue as to what I do. They're not out there. They've never watched me work. They have no clue. But I have a master who's above me who does know what I do and does know if I'm working and does or whether I'm not. And am I doing it for His glory? And He will be the one that repays me. You'll often not get paid what you deserve here on earth. That's irrelevant. He will repay you. And so notice you can be rewarded for giving, rewarded for your quiet time, rewarded for helping those in need, rewarded for going to work. How many areas of that, how many hours a day are we talking about? You stop and think. You remember when you had the same thing in Matthew 16. Remember Jesus makes a statement, if man wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow him. Two verses later, he says, God will repay you. You mean when I surrender my life to him? He promises. That's why in Matthew chapter 19, what do the disciples say? Lord, we've given up everything for you. What do we get? And he says, you will rule over the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh-huh. That's an eternal reward. And it cost every one of them dearly. Yes. Cost everyone dearly. But they were looking for the eternal reward. In Matthew in Hebrews chapter 10, it's interesting when you get towards the end, they served the Lord well, the people in Hebrews, but it says they were starting to shrink back. How many of us are starting to shrink back? Is in our country today any threat towards Christians for being a Christian? That's why Hebrews 11 then comes up and you have therefore and you have the great cloud of witnesses that we have to follow. It can be done if we'll just follow what the great men and women of faith are doing. And I think it's interesting when you get to chapter 11 it says that Moses gave up the wealth of Egypt because he saw an eternal reward. That's quite a bit of wealth if you've ever seen King Tut's stuff. Those kind of things were available to Moses. He gave them up. Since you all like music, how many of you, uh, I'd rather have Jesus. Who made that song famous? Who did? Who wrote the music? That's actually a poem. Who wrote the music? George Beverly Shea was asked to sing before he ever got started, was asked to sing in a, uh, what we would call today a secular group, making good money. He's trying, toying with the idea, what do I do? Praying about it. His mother just slipped that poem while he was at the piano. He wrote the music to it, decided not to pursue it. Of course, Billy Graham hears about him. And I think he became quite famous. So many things are that way. But again, how important was his mother? How important was the poem? How many of you can even tell me what the, who wrote the poem? That she's going to be rewarded one day. So you stop and think about it. Let me give you uh, what ways can you serve the Lord for His glory? There's all kinds of ways. Anything and everything you do. 
Let me ask you, have you ever heard of this guy? Frederick Froebel. You ever heard of him? He lived 150 years ago. I'm not surprised you haven't heard of him. He liked to go with his dad, and he liked to go in the country and in the mountains, and he looked around and he kept seeing all these things growing. And he had a real burden for children. And we need to teach young children things of the Lord. And that's how kindergarten got started. <coughs> how did Sunday school get started? The man saw all kinds of little kids on the streets in England and decided we need to have them learning Christian things. That's how Sunday school got started. Is it an obstacle or is it an opportunity? There's a young lady whose sister died and her parents had to raise her sister's little one. She's a nurse. She saw how hard it was for them being on limited income to do it. She started an organization called Grandparents as Parents. It's nationwide today. She never That was never her plan. She was just trying to help her parents. What about an obstacle or an opportunity? How many of you ever heard of you, <clears throat> these two individuals? And one's name was Walter, actual real name Walter, and the other's name was Arthur. Walter takes Arthur out to this undeveloped land, this total wasteland, South California, Southern California. And he says, I'm going to, Walter said, I'm going to build this over here, and, uh, but I'd like somebody to buy the land around it. I think it's going to be a great opportunity. And Arthur looked around and said, man, this is nothing but wasteland. This is useless. No, I'm not going to do it. Well, Walter, who's, we know him as Walt Disney, built Disneyland, and Art was Art Linkletter who said no to buying the land around it. You think there's a little bit of money in the land around Disneyland? Until you stop and you think about it. <clears throat> Opportunity or obstacle? Granite or sculpture? A lot of different things. So you think about it. We have a lot of things to do. Let me give you some questions in, in closing. The ladies can come up. What way can you serve the Lord and will we allow Him to praise us? Think another one. How do you need to remember those who helped you get you here? You ever stop to thank them? I do whatever. I think it's important we have a book of remembrance. Let's allow God to keep all records. He does a much better job of the records than what's going on that we do. Just let him do it. We'd love for you to come and visit with us and fellowship with us. We're located at 8263 North Owasso Expressway, which is on the east side of Highway 169 North, between 76th and 86th Street North. We have coffee and fellowship from 8.30 to 9 Sundays, followed by Sunday school for all ages from 9 to 9.45, and our Sunday morning worship service is from 10 to 11. We likewise have a Wednesday night service for all ages from 7 to 8. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times, and in every way the Lord be with you all the time.